from across the globe, from the centre of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading the Aero Society podcast from the Royal Aeronautical Society. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's indeed an honour and privilege speaking to such an august gathering with people belonging to various backgrounds and uh, also to have the industry academia linkage and most of the audience are part of that. I would like to commend at the very beginning Royal Aeronautical Society, Pakistani High Commission in London and Defence Section of British High Commission in Pakistan for the remarkable support in organizing this intellectual activity. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Alan Stephens writes in the new Royal Air Force Handbook of Air Power, and I quote, For most of the history of warfare, soldiers have dominated the high command of defense forces, closing with the enemy and occupying his territory almost invariably has been a necessary condition for achieving military objectives. However, during the past seven decades, it has become evident that war is now concerned more with acceptable political outcomes than with seizing and holding ground. And that concept of war fighting, derived from a Clausewitzian devotion to mass, force-on-force engagement, and attrition are obsolescent. It has also become evident that air power has continuously expanded its ability to influence, indeed control, events in all domains. He further adds that the higher military commander must possess professional mastery in operations, planning, organization, technical development, research, logistics, personal management, and so on. That skill set doesn't, however, satisfy the definition of a true commander. The great challenge for great leader lies within the contest of ideas, because it is the ideas that shapes the strategies, concept of operations, and force structure that in turn determines how we fight and win." Unquote. Recent times have brought non-state actors as yet another factor to cater for in the realm of air warfare. The world today is witnessing a diverse and evolving threat in the subconventional domain. This new dimension has sometime, somewhat diluted the focus from the conventional near-peer military threat. To counter adversaries such as terrorists and non-state actors, although air power application provides the quickest response, yet it involves deep appreciation of threat vis-a-vis options available to the leadership in effectively employing their assets. In the aftermath of 9-11 and the spin-off of the global war on terror, Pakistan armed forces have been fighting a similar war for over a decade, which was not only threat to Pakistan nation and social construct, but a completely new kind of war for which armed forces of Pakistan were neither trained and nor were equipped with. During my discourse today, ladies and gentlemen, I would present a retrospective appraisal on Pakistan's recent operation experience in the counterterrorism domain with a focus on training and operational enhancement. The contents of my talk are as flashed on the screen. Ladies and gentlemen, the prevalent threat emanates from the border region of Afghanistan and dates back to the end of Afghan war. Withdrawal of the former Soviet troops from Afghanistan and U.S. exit from the region left a void in Afghanistan to attain settlement. Consequently, the battle-hardened Mujahideen fighting against communism settled down in the border region between Pakistan and Afghanistan, known as federally administered tribal area FATA. These warring factions, 
exploited by violent non-state actors were used to spread terrorism in the region and beyond. Fata comprises over 27,000 square kilometers area and holds a population of nearly 3.5 million people. The region consists of our mountains with few roads or communication infrastructure. Due to a long, difficult and porous border between Pakistan and Afghanistan, it was easy for terrorists based in Afghanistan to find safe havens in Fata in the aftermath of Operation Enduring Freedom. The terrorists we face thrive on the religious exploitation of propag and propagation of flawed ideology and using terrorist terrorism as its technique. The local population was forced to support them either under fear or due to falling prey to their carefully strategized entrapment techniques, exploiting public's religious sentiment. They had no value for human lives and they were a threat to Pakistani social order. These elements are equipped and well-equipped with battle-hardened and well-funded as well. They use hit-and-run tactics and are very well-trained in guerrilla warfare. Instead of larger groups, they operate in small but multiple teams. After an ambush on security forces, they simply fade away into the local population. For attack, they use hosts of small and medium arms, IDs and rocket launchers, and the weapons of mass destruction has always been the suicide bombers. Government of Pakistan chalked out a policy that declared the 3D, 3D a key strategy to win this war. These 3D stands for deterrence, dialogue, and development. In this complete matrix, while military application figures out to be a small component, it plays the most crucial role. Within the military operations, air power certainly plays a significant role owing to its unique attributes. Besides the strategic guidelines, Pakistani political leadership also approved a policy framework in which whole of the nation approach was adopted to combat and root out terrorism from the country. It was decided to take indiscriminate action against all terrorists, their facilitators and sympathizers. In order to gain and retain support of local population, operations were to be conducted while strictly respecting local culture and traditions. It is to be, was to be ensured that LEAs used minimum and selective yet effective force for minimum time to accomplish the assigned missions correctly, quickly. This was also essential to, in order to economize the efforts, ensure zero collateral damage, and avoid excessive destruction of infrastructure for speedy post-ops rehab. Realizing the limited capacity of Pakistan Air Force to undertake protracted operations and its ever-increasing involvement to guard the ideal frontiers, it was desired to be using air power sparingly. To fulfill this requirement, best available intelligence and use of precision-guided munitions were thus considered essential. Having defined the overarching rules of engagement, the final desired end state of war was defined as all terrorist outfits, outfits to be dismantled or decapacitated as a warrant entity or force of disorder, writ of the state restored in FATA, Reconcilable groups taken on board and reintegrated into the national mainstream. Civil machinery and LEAs become effective in the troubled areas to retain and hold government control in future. Environments shaped for sustained development in the area to improve living standards of the locals and their integration in national fiber. Effective border management to be enforced to arrest cross-border infiltration or movement by the terrorist elements. Terrorist narrative be defeated through provision of comprehensive and balanced counter-narrative by effectively using all state apparatus, especially the media.
For the achievement of this desired end state, the roadmap followed by government of Pakistan was a three-step model. The first step comprised separating the terrorists from the local population. The second included direct application of kinetic force against terrorists. And the last step, the local population was to be settled while adopting stick-and-carrot approach for the terrorists. Ladies and gentlemen, I shall now give a brief account of operations conducted by Pakistan Air Force. Realizing the limited capacity of Pakistan Air Force at that time to undertake protracted operation and its ever-increasing involvement to guard the aerial frontiers, if efforts were used sparingly in an effective and precise manner to achieve maximum desired results. To fulfill this requirement, best available intelligence and use of PGMs were essential during these operations to mitigate concern of collateral damage. Air operation against militants in FATA were first conducted in 2004, but their effectiveness remained limited. At the start of operation in 2004, various capability gaps were identified, and at that time, Pakistan Air Force neither envisioned nor was prepared to fight an irregular war. Non-availability of desired capabilities and lack of such experience was a major challenge for armed forces in general and Pakistan Air Force in particular. PF, after realizing these challenges and limitations, carved out a strategy for identifying most essential equipment and training requirements. The program encompassed a total of four areas in which capacity building was deemed necessary and is as flashed on the screen. In May 2009, on the order of Government of Pakistan, the Armed Forces commenced operation in Sawat Valley. PF applied the lesson learned from the previous operations, targeting philosophy adopted by Pakistan Air Force before the commencement of ground operation was to destroy militants' command and control centers, hideouts, training camps, ammunition dumps, and most importantly, routes and passes were blocked to prevent their escape to neighboring areas. Pakistan Army started its operation two days after the airstrike. Beside clearing the area, air cover and close air support was also provided to advancing columns of army. PF, in essence, greatly facilitated the commencement of land operations by conditioning the environments and ensuring least resistance from the terrorists who were well dug in and were holding the higher grounds. It's pertinent to mention that in 2008, PF supported operations with day-only precision attack capability. From 2010 onwards, newly acquired aerial weapon systems and upgrades provided the much-needed night precision attack capability through the advanced sniper advanced targeting pod. With this capability, enemy was denied the cover of darkness, during which they used to regroup and organize. Apart from precision strike, enhancement of ISR capability also had a force multiplying effect. Combination of these capabilities provided remarkable result in target identification and engagement in dynamic targeting scenarios. The video, ladies and gentlemen, shows one of those successful engagement of terrorist hideouts through PGMs, and it was a very successful strike against an HVT. Procurement of reconnaissance and pod significantly helped in target identification by providing high-resolution imagery of the area to planners and operators instead of open-source imagery. The deficiency of the PGM inventory was addressed through further procurement of LGBs. Moreover, GPS-guided bombs were also procured 
which offered a bad weather solution where the usage of laser bombs was denied due to cloud cover. A, a counter-terrorist specialist directorate was formed at the air headquarters, which started to serve as the hub of conducting these operations. Beside executing the overall planning and coordination, the command and control over all participating assets was now exercised by FACARs and operation commanders through telemetry, even at the field. With increased requirement and tasking both in day and night, human and material resources were stretched, affecting normal operation of PAF. However, planning, better technology, and effective management of resources helped in mitigating the effects of prolonged operation. Additionally, positive results of air campaign acted as a catalyst in morale boosting of the entire nation. A holistic strategy, superior assets, adequately trained operators, and well-crafted mechanisms adopted in the operation resulted in effective targeting of terrorist hideouts and therefore rapid sweep out of the area. To meet the emerging training requirements, ISI Training School was established, whose role and task was to conduct formal training of ISR operators, including manned and unmanned platforms. In place of the previously conducted on-job training, intel personnel from the field and specialists were included in the teaching faculty so as to impart a thorough understanding of enemy concealment tactics, vehicular movement patterns, as well as weapon and DPI selection requirements. Alongside the curriculum of fighter pilots, training was revised with an increased focus on CAS missions. Additionally, in the international exercises, including Red Flag in USA and Anatolian Eagle in Turkey, special emphasis was laid on PF participation in CAS phases to acquire maximum training. In culmination, in continuation of the new training policy, the newly developed Air Power Center of Excellence in Pakistan was assigned with one of the primary tasks of formally conducted counterterrorism training under one roof, and to educate our friends on the experience which we have gained Incorporating all the players involved, CT training modules was devised, which involved simulator training followed by flying phases in a realistic training manner. In addition to a number of indigenous solutions like retrofit of ISR capability on earlier platforms, production of surveillance UAVs, COTP vehicles, providing the video feed to the troops at last mile, UCAV was manufactured indigenously which is capable of employing air-to-ground missiles comparable to Hellfire. This capability provides enhanced loiter time over the target area with engagement of target of opportunity. The JF-17 aircraft, a co-production of Pakistan and China, has been successfully integrated with targeting port, and tests and trials are underway for delivery of laser-guided bombs, which in turn will provide additional effort for conduct of such missions. Ladies and gentlemen, let me now give a brief overview of the adopted airstrike mechanism. The best suited option in the post-operational environment was the employment of ISR integrated kinetic operations. Once the target is developed by the land forces, it was shared with Pakistan Air Force. The task target was scrutinized for collateral damage and flawed safety consideration. Additionally, ISR of target is carried out to observe enemy activities. Fighter aircraft used to stay on high alert 24-7 for immediate response, and as soon as the tasking was achieved, fighters get airborne within a 30 minutes notice. After target engagement, PFISR assets carry out bomb hit assessment and fleeing tracks from the primary targets are passed to the strike aircraft. 
and simultaneously assessed at air headquarters for collateral engagement clearance. In line with the policy frame of Pakistan's leadership, it was to be ensured that minimum and selective force proportionate with target is used to accomplish the assigned missions effectively. This was also essential in order to economize the efforts, ensure zero collateral damage, and avoid excessive destruction of structures, and thus providing for speedy post-hab rehab, which I have already mentioned. To meet this challenge, flawless intelligence, thorough scrutiny in target selection, and precise hits were essential during the complete operation cycle. Ladies and gentlemen, Pakistan has largely reached the desired end state and remains committed to continue its endeavor till nation's aspirations are fulfilled. During the counter-terrorist campaign in FATA, since 2008-9, PAF operations has been a major factor in the success of army operation, claiming maximum casualties on terrorists. Consequently, it is justified to declare that PAF has greatly helped achieve tactical ascendancy of own forces which has rendered the terrorists unviable and is ultimately leading to their strategic paralysis. Ladies and gentlemen, involvement in counter-terrorist operation has indeed been a new experience for Pakistan Air Force, a very professional approach, flexibility, <coughs> sorry, and unflinching support for the cause has remained PAF strength and allowed it to adopt to this kind of warfare. In Pakistan, we are winning this war and reversal is not an option for us. We, as Pakistani nation, are committed to the cause of eliminating terrorism from the region and the world at large. So, ladies and gentlemen, to conclude, I would say that allies and partner nations will have to fight this war together. Moreover, air power applied to its fullest potential in the given contest can greatly ease the, uh, ease the task of all other elements in joint operation. It may not always be the principal player, but it invariably enables all else in force employment either as an agent of kinetic effect or as a multi-component enabler of ground, naval, and interagency forces. The single most important lesson is that even the most robust and technically capable air power and air weapons can never be more effective than the strategy and policy it is intended to support. In the same pursuit to share our knowledge and expertise with our friends and partners nation, Pakistan Air Force has developed an institution with the name of Air Power Center of Excellence, ACE, at one of our bases. Air Power Center of Excellence, where we will share all this knowledge and expertise through mutual learning and exercises. The first ACE's meet was conducted last year, with the Turkish and Royal Saudi Air Force participating in the exercise along with their aircraft. We hope that in future, exercises with many other partner nations would also join us in an endeavor to mutually benefit from our experiences and collectively defeat the forces of disorder. I thank you all. From across the globe, from the center of aerospace, and now to you. Thank you for downloading. Visit www.aerosociety.com to download more from this series and other multimedia content from the Royal Aeronautical Society. If you enjoyed this content, please consider showing your support for the Society. Share a link to this presentation by email or on your favorite social networks. 
If you have an interest in aerospace, consider the professional and personal benefits of membership. Visit www.aerosociety.com. This content is provided subject to our website and digital media terms of use. Please visit www.aerosociety.com for more information.